Alright, it's great joy to be here. I bring you greetings from my family, my wife, uh, Ling Ling. She's not able to join us and uh, we have three children, Joy, Jen and Caleb. They are 24, 22 and 20. And I also bring you greetings from our brethren from Nepal, Jai Mercy. And that means uh, God bless you in Nepali. It's a great joy to be with you this morning. And shall we look to God together in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray and ask God for your Holy Spirit to come rain down Help us, Lord, to discern your word clearly and carefully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, how many of you here, I, I believe most of you here have been to a campfire, have you? Anybody? Wow, great. You know, when I do this in Asia, there will be like, you know, just one hand or two hands. And, and I, I enjoy campfire. And what's the highlight of a campfire? Marshmallows, all right. You know, for Asians, the highlight of a campfire is the bonfire, you know, the, the fire that we set up. And you, you will agree with me that, you know, it, uh, I mean, for the guys, actually, um, it, it is always the highlight, you know, because you get to set the woods on fire, you know, without being caught, especially in Asia. If you set fire like this, you'll be caught and you'll be fine in Singapore. But you know, starting the fire is so easy. You agree? Starting the fire is easy, but to keep the fire burning is often the challenge. And so this morning, I want to begin by asking us the question, is the gospel fire burning strong in our lives and in the life of the church? Is the gospel fire burning strong in the life of the church and in our personal life? One of the things that our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us that was that He has given us the command to continue the proclamation of the gospel. We just read the gospel earlier from Luke, and, and the references. Can we have the next slide, please? And we have references to uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, uh, Luke 24, that was just read, John 20, and Acts 1 8. We are reminded by our Lord Jesus Christ to continue to keep the gospel fire burning. So this is our Lord Jesus saying to us, guys, I'm going back to the Father. Now it's your turn to keep the gospel fire burning. And what do we need, my friends, as we look at Isaiah 6, what do we need uh, to keep this gospel fire burning? I want to suggest three things to you. We need a renewed vision of the greatness of Christ. We need a renewed compassion for the lost and we need a renewed readiness for the gospel. So let's jump in. A renewed vision of the greatness of Christ. All right. And you probably will ask, why, why is a renewed vision of the greatness of Christ so important? Um, and, and I want to illustrate it this way. Imagine with me if I were to come to you this morning and say, hey guys, Christchurch Vienna, I have found the cure to all cancer. How many of you believe me? All right, great, you're smart people. <laughs> and unless we believe in the greatness of Christ, how many of us would actually go out of this place and to proclaim our Lord Jesus Christ? It is very unlikely that if you do not believe that I have the cure for all cancers, for you to go out and say, hey guys, you know, this morning I heard from this Chinese guy and, and he has the cure of all cancer, right? 
if you do not believe in me, it is unlikely for you to do so. And in the same way, unless you believe that God is great, that we worship a great God, it is unlikely that we would go and proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, we, perhaps, for some of us, we are struggling. We are struggling to believe in the greatness of Christ because of some personal struggles. Or perhaps we have gone through very challenging times and difficulties that has caused us to perhaps look at God and say, God, you know, I can't really believe in you because there's just so much challenges in my work, in my ministry, in my relationship, in my marriage. How can you be great, God, if my loved one is dying? And I want to challenge us by saying, my friends, our God is great despite all the circumstances in our lives. And this is important that we continue to believe in who He is and that He is indeed a great God. And so I want to, what I want to say is this, our vision of the greatness of God is so often clouded out by the Uzzah in our lives. In the first um, three verses, you will see that Isaiah wrote, in the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne. This is a very interesting passage here because you will see Isaiah writing about his encounter with God himself. So imagine with me, he, Isaiah is worshipping in the temple of God and then bang, God appears right in front of him. In his physical presence, God is there and together with the angels worshipping and the angels were proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But you will realise that in his writing, Isaiah began by saying, in the year that King Uzzah died. I mean, how many of us here, if you, if you were to encounter God this morning, how many of you would actually you know, leave this place and tell someone, you know, guys, um, well, you know, I want to tell you about how bad my day was yesterday, but this morning I have encountered God. It is very highly likely in an instance like this that if we have this such an, a special experience with God, that we would go leave this place, we would meet, you know, strangers in the street and we say, hey, you know what, I just met God. Or you'll be telling your friends, you know, through WhatsApp or through, you know, whatever that you use to communicate with your friends, I just met God. But Isaiah began his opening statement by telling us of the death of his king. How strange. And to understand why so, we need to look at Second Chronicles chapter 26. You don't have to turn to it if you don't have your Bible. Let me just read uh, for you a couple of passages. Now, in Second Chronicles 26, this will help us understand who uh, Uzziah is. Uzziah was 16 years old when he was made king instead of his father. How many of you here are 16? Yeah. All right. Guys, you're going to be kings and queens. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. 
And in verse 4, we were told he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord, as long as he sought God. And then in verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. Verse, verse um, 8, the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Uh, verse 9, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, and then um, you know, uh, he fortified them. And in verse 10, he built towers in the wilderness and cut out uh, cisterns, and he had large herds. Uh, and then he had, he had farmers, he had vine dressers in the hills and fertile lands. Verse 11, Uzziah had an army of soldiers ready for war. Verse 13, under his command was an army of 300,000 soldiers who could make war with mighty power to help the king against his enemy. And then verse 14, Uzziah prepared for all the army, shoes, spears, helmets, coats of, of, and bows, and stones for slinging. And in verse 15, in Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men uh, to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great arrows. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And here you have a man, a king, who, whose fame has spread far. And, and beside King Solomon, you know, in the Old Testament, we don't read of anybody else who has such a fame like Uzziah. And if you are subject to king like Uzziah and like Isaiah, living in comfort, living um, with great wealth, living under the great protection of such a king, there's really nothing to worry about, isn't it? And so I want to suggest to you, you know, Isaiah began by writing uh, and, and by saying that in the year King Uzziah died, that I met the Lord, he's making a contrast. He's making a contrast of how for the longest time of his life, he has been fixing his eyes on an earthly king. He's been depending on this earthly king, and for the longest time of his life, he has lost sight of the greatness of God. How many of us, my dear friends, are stuck with Uzziahs, the Uzziahs in our lives, and we have lost sight of the greatness of God? What are the Uzziahs that are stopping you from seeing and believing in the greatness of God? And my friends, today is the day for us to give up and to surrender to Uzzahs in our lives. You know, um, in a little while, we'll we, we, we have a dialogue. We'll talk a little bit more about how the churches in Nepal is growing. But I just want to briefly say that, you know, for many of the Christians in Nepal, living in poverty and living under um, in, in very improvised condition, their eyes is often the greatness of God. We just sang song about healing and God's greatness. And so often, 
you know, for the average Christians in, in, in Nepal, their only hope is to look to God for healing, restoration, and redemption. And so we see mirac- miraculous healing very often. In fact, um, I was sharing with a group yesterday that uh, we saw a dead coming to life. An old lady died for an hour and a half, and she resurrected an hour and a half later. And, and she lived for uh, six more months before she finally uh, left to be with the Lord. And so this, these are the things that constantly kept us going in the church in Nepal because our eyes is on the greatness of God. I'll move on very quickly uh, to my second point. We need a renewed compassion for the lost. While we are awakened to the fact that uh, we are saved by grace, are we, do we realize, my dear friends, that we are surrounded by people who are still searching for hope? And here in verse 4 to verse 7, you know, um, Isaiah tells us that you know, he, he experienced this earthquake in the temple, and then in verse 5, he, there's a sudden realization of how sinful he is. Woe is me, for I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips. But it's interesting here, you know, uh, um, you know, Isaiah could have just repented for himself, seek God's forgiveness, but he tells us that I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. This sudden compassion that searched his heart as he realized how sinful he is, Isaiah is saying, hey, my eyes is now suddenly opened to the people who are living around me, who are living in sin. Could we have next slide, please? All right, you, you probably know where this place is. How many of us are living you know, in, in, in a condition where things are moving so fast around us and we just get on to life and as we look at the people around us, what are we, what's going through our mind? And the next slide, please. And what about globally? Next slide, please. What about globally? 2.9 million people who are still unreached, living in the 440 windows. And the six countries that Diocese uh, that Singapore is ministering in, uh, of about 500 million people. What, what comes to our mind when we think of the people who are you know, moving past us daily, our classmates, you know, our colleagues, and, and the people in the marketplace, strangers that we meet, the Uber drivers that, uh, you know, sent you to school or work. And we become so busy with life, my friends, that we have lost our compassion for the unsafe. Have we become so busy with our life that we have lost this compassion? I want to share with you a story, a story of uh, Pastor Daniel. Next slide, please. Um, yeah, you see John, Johnny there somewhere. 
Yeah, um, and Pastor Daniel is the guy on the floor, you know, in the dark jacket. Um, he was working as a supervisor in, in Dubai, and, and for most Nepali, uh, because they are living in poverty, so the only mean of income is actually for them to, to travel out of the country and to work overseas. So he works as a supervisor in a construction site in Dubai, and he's well-liked by his bosses because he speaks three languages, uh, uh, Nepali, Hindi, and, and English. And because he was also very good in his leadership, he was placed in charge of a group of men, and he was making good money. But one day on his uh, uh, break, uh, he came back to Kathmandu, where his hometown is, and he heard the voice of God. He felt that, um, he, he, he heard the voice of God saying, you know, son, go visit this place beside where you are staying. He knew where that place was, but uh, he had never in his whole entire life stepped into the place. And then in obedience, he, he stepped into this place where God had asked him to, next slide please. Next slide. Thank you. All right. This was the place that was next to his house. For 30 years in his life, he had never walked past or stepped into this place. He had never realized for 30 years in his life that a slum existed just next to him. This was what greeted him, young children collecting young children collecting treasures from the garbage uh, and in Nepal because there's no proper sanitation. So all the waste, you know, the poo, the, the, everything goes here. It's collected and it's delivered here. Next slide, please. Right, there are more guys collecting uh, yeah, treasures so that they could sell it and, and, and put food on the table. Next slide. And then he saw uh, young, young families raising their children in the midst of the slum. Next slide. This is the living condition. Next slide. Right, can stop there. And so, um, when Daniel saw that, you know, a place he, had never, he never knew existed, he was gripped with compassion in his heart. And then he heard God's voice again. Now God asked him, Son, do you love this people? Do you love this people? You know, with tears in his eyes, Daniel had just come from the air ticketing office. He had just picked up his air ticket uh, to travel back to Dubai the very next day. He took out the air ticket, he tore it apart. He tore them apart called his boss, said, I'm not coming back because I have a new mission here. Uh, so Daniel went on to start a kindergarten uh, which was being burned down by some pro-Hindu groups and uh, some of you, including Johnny, had uh, supported us in rebuilding the kindergarten. Um, yep. And, and uh, here's, he, next slide, please. So he went on to start three kindergartens uh, Yes, we can move on. One more slide. Thank you. Right. And, 
as he, you know, and, and then he went on to plant churches, um, and, and the fire, the fire, you know, um, that broke out in the community actually um, brought a, a revival. And, and Daniel right now, he's, he's, he was just uh, recently made the deacon. He's now pastoring three congregations of more than a thousand members. Uh, it's just amazing. God is just amazing uh, in, in yeah, bring the people into the kingdom. Uh, and so here he is because he was gripped with compassion for these people who are lost. That he started the kindergarten so that he could provide free education for the children. And then he went on to plant churches because he believed that the gospel is the only hope for this particular community. So we, we are amazed by what God is doing. And I want to say to us, my dear friends, that without compassion, our evangelism effort will be merely transactional. You know how often we have evangelistic events? Because it should be in the church calendar. But with compassion, my dear friends, people will experience the true love of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why this community where Daniel pastored had turned to faith. They have come to Christ because they have experienced the true love of Jesus Christ. When um, not too just about a year and a half ago, you know, the whole community was being burnt down and arsonists uh, had burned down the place. Um, the whole community of 160 um, families lost their homes, the temporary shelters, uh, because um, some developers were hoping to reclaim that piece of land uh, to, to you know, build their infrastructures. But the slum dwellers were there. So when, when the houses were burned down, the very thing that Daniel did was to go to the mayor, pleaded with the mayor, give us this land so that we could build proper shelters for the people. Single-handedly, he went around to many different people, different places to raise, to raise funds, not for himself, not even just, not just for the churches, but for the community. And the people were touched by his compassion and love. They experienced the love of Jesus Christ. And many came to faith as a result of that. And thirdly, we need a renewed readiness for the gospel. Very often, we are wondering whether if God has called us. The truth is, and the issue is, it is not whether we have heard the call, but the issue here is whether if we will heed the call. Isaiah heard God's voice saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It is very unusual as we look at this passage because you will remember that God called Moses. God called Abraham. God called Joshua. God called Paul and the apostles. Never in the scripture you will see God asking, Hi guys, anybody, anybody interested? Are you willing to go? Yes, 
Johnny, are you willing to go? No. This is the only instance and time where God spoke clearly. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? An audible voice to Isaiah. God was seeking not for Isaiah's approval, but God was waiting for him to respond in faith, to say, yes, God, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. My dear friends, are we willing, are we willing to go whenever and wherever God is calling us? Could we have the next slide, the picture? Thank you. Very quickly, tell you some stories. I have six minutes. And, and um, this is a story about a young men, you know, responding to God's call to preach the gospel in a very far remote um, village in the western part of the country, in Nepal. And this is a picture of a mother who was ready to sell her baby. So in Nepal, because of poverty, many of the mothers, many of the families are having to sell their babies so they could put food on the table. And who do they sell the children to? They sell them to traffickers who will sell the children. Agents will sell the young infants and children to, um, for sex trades in India. And so here's the mother uh, who heard the gospel from a young man who had walked 150 kilometers to this particular village, and he shared the gospel. And when this, this woman uh, heard the gospel, she, there was a sudden rev revelation in her heart that this child is a gift of God for me, that she decided to keep her baby until today. Next slide, please. All right. Because a group of you guys were ready, were willing, you know. Uh, so they came, ARDF came, Johnny was there two years ago. Uh, they came and they brought relief to this particular place uh, in village in a place called Darding. And next slide. And then in case you're wondering where's Johnny, Johnny's there ministering, praying for people. Um, and then next slide, please. And I want to tell you the story. When they left, I was told, it became a topic for the whole community. Why, why would this group of white people be interested in us? Why would they traverse from so far away to bring relief supplies uh, to us? Why? That was the question that people asked, and, and then they, it became a topic of discussion, and it went on and on. And, you know, the people concluded that, you know, for the longest time of our life, we have never felt so loved by people. For the longest time of our life, we have never felt so loved. And because of the experience, um, you will see this picture of the young children, uh, a picture that we took. So I, I, I didn't have time you know, to, to send in new pictures for you guys, but a 
church, a physical church has been built and it's now packed with people. Some of these young people that we met during the trip, they are now the worship leaders of the church. Wow. God is good. Amen. And next slide, please. And because, um, you know, um, in Nepal, the, churches, the church is being persecuted. Uh, um, there's the anti-conversion law that was passed last year. Uh, if you're caught converting someone to Christianity, you'll be jailed for six years. Uh, and, and it's a terrible condition to be um, in prison. Anyway, so we have our local pastors and leaders who are zealous for the gospel. And they continue to preach the gospel despite knowing that tomorrow they may be judged. And because they are willing. Many out there, my dear friends, are still searching for hope. Even as we leave this place today, you know, we will bump into strangers, we will bump into friends, we will bump into family members who are searching for hope. Are you ready? Are you ready to be part of the Harvest Force to share the gospel with them. And very quickly, I want to invite you by saying that, you know, next slide, please. That as we go out, we need to remember that God has called us. The question is not whether we have heard the call, but whether we will respond to the call and say, yes, yes, God, I want to proclaim the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ to these people in our community. It could be our friends. It could be our classmates. It could be just strangers. And are you willing? Are you willing? Next slide, please. Are you willing to join some of us to bring hope to a group of people who are seeking, for, seeking after hope? Meet the workers of the brick factories in Nepal. Young children working for 16 hours a day, making 11 cents every day. Do the sums. You know how much they get in a month. Are you willing to bring hope to young children globally who are seeking for hope? Next picture, please. Are you willing to join some of us uh, next slide, please. Yeah, are you willing to join some of us? Uh, you know, perhaps as as a church coming together, form a mission team, go and do something to bring relief to this lady. When we took this picture three years ago, she was forty years old. She lives in a place where um, they are suffering from arsenic poisoning. So with arsenic poisoning, there is rapid acceleration uh, aging. Uh, she was 40, so she's 43 this year. We don't even know if she's around. Are you willing to go to bring relief and hope for people out there? Keep the gospel fire burning, my friends, because the, the world that we are living in today is in desperate need of solid hope. And this hope can only be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Please join me as we look to God in prayer. Father, we pray in us as we look at the scripture, you have chorus. And we know that, Lord, um, so often the issue 
that we face is not whether about time or about training, but it's about our willingness. It's certainly not about age. It is certainly not about what we can or what we can't do. And so we pray. Today, give us a willing heart. A willing heart to go and to proclaim the gospel so clearly, to lead people to this saving hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in the mighty name of our Lord. Amen. God bless you.